Welcome back to the Big Mark Podcast. It's me, your host, Big Mark. If it's your first time listening, welcome. If not, welcome back. Like I always say, if you ever want to reach out to the podcast, please hit us up on our DMs on our Twitter or Instagram at the Big Mark Pod or the Big Mark Podcast. Uh, If you ever wanted to, you know, let us know if you wanted to hear some topics or any comments about the show, please reach out. If you ever wanted to support the podcast, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Big Mark Podcast. If you ever wanted to rate the podcast, please give us a five-star review, if you will. It really does help the podcast. I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but it does help us in uh, in the old algorithms. And yeah, please share the podcast. If you if you like today's episode, please let your friends know. Even if you tell one friend, uh, we can double the podcast overnight. So again, thank you so much for listening. And I'm, I'm, really, uh, I'm really excited about today's episode. It's a really interesting topic. Came across in a podcast. It's kind of one of those. Um, one of those stories that you've probably heard of. But you don't necessarily know about. And. Um, or, or maybe you don't necessarily know the details. Or. Even if you haven't heard of it. Once you hear it. It's just. It's kind of one of those stories where. On the surface, it's definitely one thing, but when you kind of get into it, it really, really reveals just kind of how and, you know, what what humans are kind of capable of. Uh, I don't even know when death isn't an option. I don't even know what it is. It's just it's a it's a amazing story. Story of Flight 71, uh, Uruguay Military Air Force Flight 571. Um, the first time I actually ever heard about it uh, was in a Seinfeld bit in one of the episodes. Uh, I was just watching it the other day, actually. Uh, and it's, it, it's Jerry and George talking about the the scene and and what happens in the story and they talk about it and I've seen that episode a million times because I love Seinfeld but I never really knew that the whole idea was was from this story and essentially story of flight 571 is the story of a, a rugby team a Uruguayan a rugby team who took a flight over the Andes and crashed and then they had to start eating each other now yes this is a story of cannibalism and as I'm telling you the story, it's hard not to it's hard not to forget that that that's what this is but there's so much more to the story and i don't want you to think that this was and they talk about it in the podcast that i heard about it which is the you're wrong about 
podcast, which um, I've only I've only listened to this one episode, but it it, it is a really really good um, comprehensive view of this story, and you know they talk about this isn't necessarily a loss of humanity. It's actually humanity or it's people trying their best to hold on to humanity. You know, the story talks about what happens when a plane crashes into a glacier. It talks about what happens in a plane crash. Talks about surviving on a glacier. Talks about hiking up a glacier. And truthfully, again, like I said, the story is, is about, it's about the human experience. Which, again, you know, there's a lot of times where people are, you know, you can you can be in a very hopeless situation. But all you really need is a little bit of hope and some kind of goal or at least someone near you. Maybe you might not have any hope yourself, but if there's someone around you that can provide that example of what it takes to kind of get through things, you, you know, it really it really shows you. And you know, I talk about I talk about that all the time on this podcast, right? Teamwork and and sacrificing towards a goal and and being being all that. And I think this story really, really encompasses all that. You know, any type of survival situation, you're you're digging into something that's so primal and something that... They also talk about this in the podcast, which I think is fascinating. They talk about how survival... We usually lend a lot of credence to survival in the wilderness, right? And, And this is a story of just that, but, you know... People are also surviving every day and just day-to-day living life in the city in, in, in so-called civilization. Um, you know, th- this, we'll talk a lot about the, the teamwork of these, of these, um, of these players, their faith. And again, there's some cannibalism involved. Anyway, it's October, beginning of October, 1972. Uh, Stella Mare School for Boys, Catholic school in Uruguay. And um, Uruguay. I don't know. Who should have figured that one out? Um, but it was, um, it was uh, again, a Catholic school. So it was run by like Christian brothers. And uh, they weren't allowed to hit the kids. So they thought like, oh, let's let's let them play sports so they can kind of get some of that anger out. But they didn't want them playing soccer because they thought that led to egotism, which might be true. But they actually ended up choosing to teach the kids rugby instead of hitting the kids, essentially, um, but letting them hit each other. And um, the all the players loved playing rugby so much that once they graduated, they missed it and they started an alumni team. So... The, this is uh, the team, former alumnus. Uh, they were actually national champs in uh, of, of Uruguay in, in 1968 and 1970. Um, 
the the team consists of like 19 20 year olds the oldest is 26 the youngest is 17 they're all very religious still obviously they grew up catholic and and are still practicing they're dedicated to each other very dedicated to their sport uh and they have an exhibition game in in chile coming up so that's why they have to fly there uh they charter a military plane it's gonna be cheaper it's all the boys they have a few other um passengers to kind of fill up the plane they sold the extra tickets and the in the plane that they use again the military plane it's a fairchild fh 227d nicknamed the lead sled so obviously it's a piece of shit plane and a couple other issues um there's a young pilot he's you know somewhat inexperienced uh the andes where they have to fly over the mountains of south america um the the andes altitude is um about 20,000 feet so the 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 mountainous ranges or the peaks this that's the word the peaks that they have to fly over um are about 20,000 feet and the plane's max altitude is 22,500 feet so you can't really cruise at max altitude so basically that means they're going to have to navigate through the mountains instead of going completely over it um and you're not supposed to fly over the mountains in the afternoon that is definitely brutal the weather turns um turns brutal and you're not supposed to fly over the uh, over the mountains in the afternoon so that's all their issues right there Anyway, they still get in the plane. They still figure out a way that that is not going to be a big deal. It happens all the time. You know, the the co-pilot was an experienced pilot, and he's going to be able to, to be uh, involved. And um, essentially, even on the first day of their flight, when they when they take off, uh, the first day of their trip, they have to make an emergency landing in Argentina because there's bad weather. So it wasn't like they crash landed, but they had to they had to make a make a different different uh, alter their plans anyway for the night now one big issue is that it's a military plane and military planes can't stay on argentinian soil for more than 24 hours so they basically are forced to leave um and the players they they either have to go um back home which is safer or they they can go ahead with the trip and the weather still isn't perfect, but the players convince the pilot to go ahead uh, despite the bad weather and the fact that it's it's the afternoon. So they're basically flying 100% when they should not be flying. Essentially, they crash into the mountain. I don't want to say right away, but basically they smash into the mountain pretty much as soon as they get there. Um, the right wing is ripped off immediately. And as it gets ripped off, it cuts the tail off. So now there's a big, huge hole in the back of the plane. Some people get sucked out. Um, the left wing then flies off. And now it's just like the fuselage of the plane. So it's just flying in the air, this tube. And luckily, it lands at an angle that allows it to kind of slide down the hill instead of just like crumpling or smashing or just or like cartwheeling down the hill. And it, it, it ends up getting up to 200 miles an hour on this... Um, on this fucking sled ride down this hill, 
crashes into a snowbank and it crashes so hard all the all the seats in the plane rip and they get sent up to the front so all these people get all crip, like crunched up in the front they're all stuck the people in the back who are free start helping and basically half like some people are fucked up broken legs smashed heads fucking crazy gashes and shit and then some people are like basically totally fine so obviously, like I mentioned before, it's mostly these rugby boys, but then there's a couple randos like that kind of joined in, but it's mostly these rugby boys. So some of these guys are like totally fine and they're like built to play rugby. So they're like in pretty, pretty good shape. They're in season doing their thing and they start saving these people. The captain of the team, um, Marcelo Perez, um, he's the one who actually, um, starts kind of getting everyone together obviously he's like the natural leader of the team anyway and he starts getting people together um there's 45 survivors uh like i said some have major injuries um some are basically okay two of the survivors Kinesa and serbino are med students so they're kind of they become like the kind of natural doctors it's kind of like a scene this is kind of like the opening scene from lost i mean it's a plane crash but it's just hectic, hectic scenario, obviously. Um, and they start to, they start to, again, Marcelo starts to kind of organize everybody and, you know, kind of do, do the checks and make sure everything's okay. Now, during this whole thing, it's kind of going to be hard for me to, to, you know, get this across as much, but they, they, seem to like kind of continue to play pranks on each other throughout this whole thing. They, they somehow find a way to, to have, I wouldn't say have fun, but make each other laugh and make each other smile because again, there's something about this where you just have to kind of grin and bear it and you just have to try and get through it and hope for the best because there's no way that you could ever survive if you ever just like completely gave into the reality of the scenario, right? So, um, one of the guys, Nando Parado, he, uh, his head was basically like crushed. His skull was crushed in the, in the, in the, um, in the crash. So now he's like down, he's completely in a coma. Um, while they're digging through all these all the all the chairs and stuff they're starting to kind of separate the dead bodies and they start to bring some of them outside they bring nando out with the crushed skull they're kind of separating everything once they get all the get all the seats out of the way they make it to the cockpit and in the cockpit the pilot's dead but the co-pilot's screaming we pass kuriko we pass kuriko over and over and over and he's like fucking tripping out freaking out his he's like gravely injured but he just keeps repeating that over and over and um that night it went down to minus 40 degrees and they're basically like in blazers and like rugby shirts and shit and the way that they kind of like fought hypothermia was apparently they kind of like punched each other in the feet and like kept each other warm by like moving around and stuff and they used luggage to kind of barricade the hole in the back of the fuselage and they all like stayed in the plane i guess kept them warm enough um at this point uh 32 out of 45 people are alive some people have died 
Um, they actually, when they were separating the bodies, they decided to pull Nando in, even though he was, he wasn't dead, but he was passed out with the crushed skull. Um, and they drank five bottles of wine on the first night to stay alive. And, um, the next day, Marcelo, um, the captain again, starts assigning people tasks just to keep up morale. He's, he's trying to, to fight despair. He doesn't want people getting down. So he's getting them to do stuff. Um, you know, if the, the very, very little food that they had, the typical lunch was like a little square of chocolate and a little small cap of wine kind of was like this, this like communion. And again, these guys are super Catholic. And again, this, this communion thing starts to become something that might happen in the future to more of a literal sense. Some players um, aren't very physically injured, but are mentally paralyzed. And some some players are extremely physically injured, but are trying to do their best. So um, one, one player with two broken legs actually starts studying maps. And again, that Kodako thing that the co-pilot kept, kept repeating he is the only clue. So he's trying to find this on the map and trying to determine where they are in the mountains. Um. And he basically determines that they're almost across the Andes, so they're not they're not like way way far off um, from civilization. Um, again, Marcelo separated kind of people into different groups when they, when he was getting them to do all these tasks, and some people were like on the medical crew. Uh, some people were like kind of like keeping the cabin tidy and like you know making sure everything's looking all right, and then some people were making water. By melting snow and they could like put it on aluminum foil and, and they found a way uh, they they painted SOS on the side of the plane with nail polish and lipstick um, and you know uh, a cup two days in they decide to go and kind of like take a little hike and look around and and take in their surroundings and they're basically on a pure glacier ice everywhere not even a fucking lichen not no algae no small shrubberies, no birds, no no nothing. They're like on a fucking sheet of ice, basically. Uh, by day three, Nando actually wakes up. The dude with the fucked up skull, he actually wakes up and he, he presses his head and he can basically push in his skull. is fractured, but he can press the pieces in like buttons. Um, and he's basically okay. Apart from his fractured skull, everything's basically okay. And they, the doctors kind of say he, he probably survived that because it was so extremely cold. His brain was, he was kind of like on ice. So his brain didn't swell too much to cause injury. Uh, by day five, some people actually hike out to scout their position even better. And they realize that, I don't know if the map is wrong or whatever, but they just know that they're in an awful area um crazy crevices and cra- cracks and places it's not like it's it's not an easy place to get to it's not an easy place to get out of they're in deep shit um after a week the search party decides that they're looking for bodies not survivors because they think it's so cold that there's no way anyone's going to be able to survive it um and at this point the boys are dehydrating about 5 times faster um, 
because of all this moving around, because of all this in the, in the altitude, um, they are also burning mad calories. So they're they're basically starving, and they have almost no fo- no food now. They're eating chocolate and shit, and that's almost all gone. Um. Nando actually has like a chocolate covered peanut that he eats over three days. He like slowly sucks off the chocolate, then eats one half, then eats another half. And by the end of that third day, when he finishes the peanut, there is officially no more food. And again, there's nothing that they can scrounge for. There's nothing can hunt for. There's nothing can grab. Nothing. And one day all the boys are sitting around. Nando. Nando writes a book. So that's one of the big reasons why there's a lot of quotes from him. Um, But it it sounds like a really good book that I hope to read. But um, Nando and the boys one day were looking at um, another boy's leg wound. In the podcast, they don't really make it clear if this boy was alive or dead. But... Either way, Nando was looking at this boy's leg room, leg room, <laughs> leg wound, and uh, he was looking at it with, it's no mistaking it, he was he was hungry, and he could smell the blood, and he said, he looked at, he looked at human flesh and felt hunger. Uh, looks around, and all the boys know that they're all thinking the same thing. That they're they're hungry enough that they're willing to fucking eat somebody. It's kind of fucking scary, you know. In most of these survival scenarios that you hear about, there's something, and I guess I guess there's that thing in the human mind where it's like, if there's something you can eat, if it's fucking bugs, if it's fucking whatever, you eat that before you're gonna start eating people. But in this case, there's literally nothing, nothing, nothing. Uh, obviously, this starts to spark a theological argument. Uh, they're all practicing Catholics, you know, they don't want to kill anybody, they definitely don't want to eat anybody, I don't know if that's actually on the books in Catholicism, but I highly, I highly um, anticipate the the church frowning upon eating another person, Um, especially if you kill them to do so, but, you know, again, they have all these other dead bodies, they have people there, it's, it's there, and their argument is that God put the bodies there to eat so that they basically have to. And essentially eating the flesh of the dead would be like a communion. And now in certain interpretations of Christianity, they do truly believe that in the in the communion process, um, the priest is turning... The, the the bread and wine into literally the blo- the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And again, this is this is a very a very visceral and um, primal way of of kind of thinking about it, but essentially got to the point where some of the guys were were, were saying like if I die, I want you guys to eat me. It's a and it's it's a it's a strange 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 theological place to put yourself in, right? Where, again, you're saying God put this here for me to 
to eat. So if I don't eat it, what is that saying? I don't know. It's it's a lot. You got to be in a fucking pretty hard scenario. Day 11 rolls by. Uh, the search gets called off um, because of the winter and it's too hard. And essentially, that spurs on the boys to say, hey, fuck it. Now we have to escape ourselves. Um, Marcelo, because the search gets called off and they've been up there for so long, Marcelo basically has a breakdown. Um, Nando becomes the new leader and he recruits the expeditionary team. Now, by this time, um, you know, people are eating little slices of, of people, man. They're fucking eating bodies and not everyone can do it. Some people, you know, can't fucking eat the f- can't eat it i don't know how they fucking survived to be honest if they couldn't eat any of the food maybe they had a little bit but some people in the beginning couldn't fucking couldn't bring themselves to eat eat other people and now nando's mother and sister were on the plane too and they unfortunately died in the crash and and shortly after the crash and no one was eating them out of respect for nando like my God, what a scenario. Eating, like, fuck. It's hard. It's like, it's kind of one of those things, especially when I was like researching. I didn't, I didn't really allow myself to really think about this because it's just, you know, it's it's part of the story. But damn, man, they were fucking eating people. Holy shit. Um, so Marcelo has this breakdown. Nando becomes the new leader and he he recruits this expeditionary team where they're like, we're going to find our way out of here. We got to be the people who go, you guys stay here. You're all fucked up. People are still mad injured. We're going to go. Um, about So they start like basically training. They start eating more. They start sleeping better, all this shit. Uh, and about two weeks in, they encounter a major avalanche. So they're fucking showing up there crazy avalanche comes in buries buries them all in the fuselage the fucking snow like freezes instantly everyone's stuck inside the plane and they start digging people out and they basically dig themselves into a place um, that's about the size for you know four people to be in comfortably and there's 19 people in this space and those 19 people are the last survivors right now everyone else is has died, especially in this avalanche, took out quite a few people. And some of the people apparently that were actually trapped during the um, during the avalanche, thinking that they were going to die, but inevitably got rescued, um, kind of saw it as somewhat of relief. So again, you can just tell, like, you know, ah, fuck, could you imagine spending weeks up there? Holy shit. Um, like I said, the expeditionary force gentlemen, the expeditionaries as they called them, um, are getting preferential treatment. And, um, after a month, about, uh, about three weeks after the avalanche, they leave on November 15th. So they've been up there for, for a whole over a month now. Um, while they're out there, they actually find the tail section. There's warm clothes in there. There's lights, there's comics, there's food, there's fucking all types of shit. They're getting after it. And um, they realize that there's like a crazy storm coming in. So they got to get back to to home base and bring some of the stuff that they got and the radio and all this stuff. 
and they got to go back to to the crash site. And obviously the people at the crash site aren't too happy to see them back, but they're like, listen, this place is fucked. Like you can't just like walk wherever we're going to go. The weather's starting to turn. Um, and these crazy storms are, 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 are preventing us from going ahead. So they're back, but they brought this radio back with them. So they're listening to the radio and they hear that because summer is just returning because it's now November and it's the Southern hemisphere. Some, uh, summer is starting and the search is back on. So they're hearing, they're listening to the radio. They're hearing that they're basically the searching, the search team isn't searching necessarily in the right area. So Nando and two others set out to find help because they know they still have to take this into their own hands. Um, on the trip, they actually end up sending one guy back and taking his food and going ahead because they know that two of them, it'll be easier for two, two to go ahead. And it's Nando and Knessa, uh, one of the med, med students. And they make it basically to the foothills. And they meet this peasant family. They meet this dude on a horse who's like, who's got this family and he brings them home and he, he lobs cheese at them and stuff. And he ends up bringing them to the police uh, to help them find the crash site. And at this point, it's basically the, like the 18th of December. So these guys have been up there for like two months. Uh, and there's 14 survivors. They bring them all back to the hospital. They have like their own wing in the hospital. They're doing their work on them, checking them out. And basically, they realize that there was no other food up there to eat. So the doctors are the, were the first to realize that <sighs> these boys were eating people up there. And a couple rescuers apparently snapped some photos up there and they released a photo of like a half-eaten leg in the snow or some crazy shit like that. And these guys are facing mad backlash, like obviously. Now, what are they going to do? Just fucking die? Just fucking chill up there? Like, it's hard because again, you don't even know what these guys were going through. These guys are going through like a serious fucking religious experience, essentially trying to figure this shit out. And again, they truly saw it as, as some type of communion and that it was, it was again, a gift from God and who fucking steps up in the end just to, uh, well, speak up for speak up for them anyway the catholic church the catholic church actually defends the whole team um obviously they got a lot of heat and catholic church said listen eating bodies is definitely not communion but what these guys had to do they had to do and and yes that's the scenario that there was no other food around but there happened to be these bodies that were there so they fucking got after it The team actually still stays friends to this day. It's fascinating. Uh, they still get together every year. Nando actually becomes became a race car driver, and they actually still chill with the with the um, the peasant guy that they found on the horse. These guys seem to have an amazing uh, amazing sense of humor because when they went to visit visit the the man on the horse, Sergio, um, it was his fiftieth wedding anniversary, and they surprised him by by meeting him in the street or meeting him on the road, I should say, and saying, Hey, we're lost. Can you help us find our way? And again, bittersweet, bittersweet ending. Cause obviously many, many people died. It's amazing that there were any survivors. 
Um, but just again, such a harrowing story. And again, as much as it seems like this was such a moment of dehumanization and the lowest of the low and how could you ever get to eating people and was it desperate and people were accusing accusing them of fabricating the the avalanche story so they could say that they killed the weaker kids so that they could just eat them again you're not killing people these are your fucking teammates you're not killing people to eat them but these guys were at that point where they were saying listen if you don't eat me i'm going to come back and haunt your ass so there's something so so deep and so interesting about the whole story, you know, uh, it shows you how, you know, what you can do as, as, as a team too. you know, it's surprising the, the captain, of the team, right? Marcelo, he steps up, right. And, and he starts, he starts making calls. He starts doing this. He starts doing that. And then when he breaks down, someone else steps up and that's always the magic moment that happens in fucking sports. And, these guys really brought that to life and yeah, maybe it helped that they were like physically, you know, strong being rugby players and stuff like that. But again, these guys were up there for two months and had to eat each other. And my God, it's like George and Jerry were saying, you know, it's him, George and Kramer. So the scenario is George is a hypo- is posing a hypothetical uh, scenario to Jerry that uh, himself, Jerry, and Kramer are flying over the Andes. They got a soccer game in Chile. See, it was soccer instead of football in the in the in the scene. And the plane goes down, and George asks Jerry, "Who would you eat first, George or Kramer?" So again, things were kind of met with a lot of humor. Um, it's. Ah, maybe it's what it's what some of those guys would want. You know, they they still seem to maintain a humor, and that's the thing is that that's where the humanity still really, really, truly still exists, right? It's it's one of those things where you know you think you're going to be in the in the lowest point that there's nothing that's going to keep you going, but when you have nothing left maybe there's some maybe there is that spark that happens right and yeah don't get me wrong there were some guys out there that that weren't really pulling their weight but deep down there's some there's a spark that somewhere and just because these guys were surviving in the wilderness doesn't mean that there's there's not people surviving in town and there's people surviving day-to-day life and driving cars and flying in planes normally and doing all that shit there's just fucking danger and we just we just kind of scoop paths this and we think that oh survival in the wilderness is so much more is so much more um um like we look up to we look up to those people who are surviving surviving out there instead of all the people that are out here surviving so give yourself some credit if you're going through anything, give yourself some credit because just because it's not some fucking crazy grizzly bear hunting you down, it doesn't mean that you ain't going through some shit. Anyway, thank you for listening to the story. I thought it was, I thought it was an amazing story. 
Can't wait to read the book. Go check it out. It's called Miracle in the Andes. And there's another one called I'm Alive, which is there's a movie called Alive. Um, Ethan Hawke is in it, I think. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Um, like I always say, hit us up on our DMs if you ever want to talk. Twitter, Instagram, at the Big Mark Pod, at the Big Mark Podcast. Check our Patreon if you ever want to donate. Patreon.com slash the Big Mark Podcast. Uh, give us five stars if you can. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that bell, hit the notifications, subscribe to our channel. Um, let us know any, th- any time, any place, anywhere. We love you all. Share the podcast. Love your friends. Don't eat your friends unless they ask you to. Love you all. Peace.